Welcome, everyone, to another week with your hosts, Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissen. We look forward to creating a mental health awareness. And the number to call up to ask your question is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And we look forward to taking your questions and your comments. We always just have a little awareness, I guess, a request to make to be aware that this is a program where we have children ages 8 and above listening. So please be aware that it's a family-appropriate program. The questions that you ask should have that in mind, as well as if you're calling to ask a question and you're under 18, just have your parents' permission, so that way we'll see out to the Shmaya. We'll be okay with everyone to do that. Again, the number to call up is 718-683-5858, And I would like to discuss just a couple of minutes, the way people sometimes call up asking and having a request or not sure what to do when it comes to Purim and different issues that are coming up now. So one of the issues that we've got about Purim is that people are saying they're going to families and different families have different ways of doing some stuff. That means some families are more labor and geschmack and all that's happening and some families are, more, are quieter. And they're doing things certain ways. And what happens is now when you have a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law, which is like to say, I want to do things a little bit different. Now, sometimes family members get disappointed or get hurt or get upset when someone wants to start doing their own type of suda. And sometimes it's because, yes, we're old enough and now it's time to do it on our own. And sometimes it's because... We might have an issue the way some people are doing it, and we want to be able to do it a little bit differently, and we're allowed to do that. The point is not if you do it one way or the other way. The point is how do you work it out that everyone's happy, that both the husband and the wife's happy? And generally, if the in-laws are healthy or the parents are healthy, you can find a way that both will be happy and both will find that balance. So this is something that is coming up a lot, and it's something that's important to be aware of. So again, we're meant to be on our own. We're meant to have our own houses, Baruch Hashem. That's the goal, and that's the goal that parents want. At the same time, we also want to figure out how we can remain balanced, how we can find our place while being respectful, while working within the system of the family. Right. Mo- yeah, yeah. Mordechai is a great issue, really great. You know, it's it's not only in Purim. It's every time, every occasion that basically we meet our families. And uh, you have the son-in-law, daughter-in-laws, and all this, uh, you know. The, yeah, The exactly. uncle, the cousin, you know, and everyone is a different personality. The, the things that I, I would say that, first of all, respect. You know, we as a Jewish people, we have our, in our roots... Things that we're getting, uh, you know, the respect and uh, be on other people and listen. Basically, we have to learn to listen to other side. Yeah. And uh, respect, respect the territory of other people. This is very important. I know that when we go to another houses, they have their own. Every, each one, each of each of us, is on pekalach or is in own shtick. You know, somebody people uh, people are caring very very about the furniture. Or the floor, or the, you know, the not so spill the carpet, you know, and take care about the kids. You know, sometimes the kids are a little bit wild, and 
So certain people, it's it's very disturbing, you know. Some people, it's it's okay. Uh, by by the grandpa, grandfather, uh, grandmother, you can do whatever you want in the house. You don't do it, you know. So this kind of stuff that you have to to look as uh, always look at the other side. Think about other people, other pe- persons, you know, that trying to put the, the, this party together and helping her to to get it a good atmosphere and don't do big critics. I would say that so many times you find oh it's only this what you gave. And what, you know, what about good words? What about things that, you know, we know we, lo- we know from our Chachamim, from, uh, for example, a story about very, very famous stories about Hafez Chaim, that one day he basically drank a soup that was salty. And he didn't say nothing. His, his friend said, why he didn't say this? I didn't want to embarrass the cook. Yeah. You know, these things that we just... Has to be thinking about the other side. Many times we don't even we shoot, you know, from our energy and, and a split of second. Oh, what is this? You know, we have to learn. You know, I'm talking to myself also. You know, sometimes the, the kids or the guests spill the cup of wine on the carpet or on the, you know, or, or break a gla- expensive glassware or something. Like this. Look at the yeah. other side. So true. And it's very important for families to realize that we're an entire family. Means an entire family means we are many components. So yes, maybe you will go to the family. Maybe you'll leave a little bit earlier. Maybe you'll come later. That means you're realizing there's a family. You're realizing people do things differently. Realizing that some people will have saltier soups. Some will have this style or that style. And we have the ability to change. We have the ability to be our individual, but also be part of a whole. And that's the beauty of Yantiv. And it's an interesting concept. But I just want to share with everyone the number to call up is 718-683-5858. And we are looking forward to taking the questions and your comments. Again, so we'd like to have your questions and your comments. Again, 718-683-5858. And the concept is that many times people have a history where their experiences is what they're assuming their children are going to have. So I have one or two examples that we're working on someone. And let's just give an example. Someone told me that they will never want to be, let's say, when they're going to be a father-in-law or mother-in-law, I want to cover up which one they are, they are not going to have a very late-night Pesach Starim because they know that where they're used to, where it was quicker, it was torturous. And this is what they're thinking. They're going to make it quick, quick, quick. And all of a sudden, when they're talking Shaduchim about their, with their children, one of the things that they heard is that the Mechatanim, for whatever reason it came out, that they have long sudas. And one of the things that came out was they run very, very late Pesach Zarim. And right away to this client of ours was saying, oh, to me this is a red light. And all of a sudden my child said, wow, that's so beautiful. I love it when Bobby and Zaidi make those long Pesach Zarim. I am so excited. You know, that was, a, that was to them. And they're going, wow. To me, it was a trigger. To my spouse, it was great. But I thought my kids probably hate it like me. And some kids like it long and some kids like it shorter. So several times we're making uh, assumptions 
that because we have a certain experience or a certain pressure, and what's happening is that's ours. It's not necessarily what's really happening out there. It's funny that your mind said so because it's, <laughs> you know, it's happened to me uh, very, you know, I have a very, very long uh, kiddush Friday night. Yeah. And uh, I always warning my my guest. Listen, listen. I I'm not going to give up my my kiddush. I have my own seder, my own kiddush. You can sit aside. I can, and you know my when my daughter-in-law come to that, and she was so enthusiastic about it. She was so, uh, you know, feel so good. And I am trying to explain everything. Many times I been reading part of the Zohar. You know, it's it's an Aramaic. So I'm trying to explain what is all about to do it. I guess you know just. To share them, you know, you have such a beautiful uh, contents when you do the, the long kiddush and stuff like this. And when you explain and make the, 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 the family sharing with this, you know, explain it. And this. many times people are tired, you know. So I said you can sit and rest on the, on the sofa, wait, on, wait a little bit. And uh, they get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Baruch Hashem, you know, that's... That's right, but on the other hand, the, the newcomers to the family, the son-in-laws or daughter-in-laws, them, they might find it interesting and they want to stand and hear everything. So yeah, right that's exactly, yeah. Yeah. So the number to call up to ask your question or your comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. I just want to remind that this... Again, this is the third week that we are in the 9.30 a.m. Uh, that uh, you can also listen to us to the 9.30 a.m. What, what is the number? What, let's share with everyone. So it's 9.30 a.m. Yes. On, on the radio. Yeah, in the radio, yes. And uh, the, the, the text number is 347-927-8398. 347-927-8398. Uh, one thing that I really want to talk about, I spoke about yesterday in, in my show about the the bullying in in the classroom and what what I, I basically trying to put the awareness for the teachers and the parents. What happened in last Shabbat? Uh, some some kid approach my family, one of my family uh, member, and told uh, told my daughter basically that. Uh, the, this young girl uh, basically been bullying in the class, and my daughter told her to go to approach approach the, the teacher. And I, I just want to say that teacher sometimes they don't feel you know the teacher don't feel what's going on in in the classroom. And I really want to talk about it. That, and I, I I myself approached the parents, and I told the parents to approach the, the principal about it. It's very important to our children to grow up, you know, especially, you know, you're looking now what happened in Florida and many, many other places. Kids have been bullies, sometimes holding it inside themselves and one day is exploding. It's not the reason, but it's part of this. Teacher, put, you know, ideas, you know, and to see what, what's going on in the class. Try to be more sensitive to the kids and try to feel what... What do you see, Mordechai, or Mordechai? It's so true. It is so true, and such a pain. 
that is that people never feel hurt. They're, again, we need to understand that a kid's self-esteem or a kid's view of who they are is based on during the kid's years in class. And the longer the kids are in school, the more they're basing their perception of themselves on what kids and class and their marks. So what happens is if a kid is loved by the parents, they feel, yeah, you're my parents, you have to love me. But if at school people don't like me, that's my true value. You see, I can't get along with friends. You see, older kids are picking on me. You see, older kids, and again, to older kids, we're talking about if it's a fourth grader, a sixth grader. Wow, this sixth grader. We're talking about a 12-year-old kid that's affecting a 10-year-old kid. And to this 10-year-old kid, they feel like it's their entire life. And they don't realize that, Baruch Hashem, we value 12-year-old kids, but we look at them as little kids. We don't even count them yet to a minion. And then you've got the same thing, a 16-year-old. I sometimes hear the way Bachar is speaking. I'm in 11th grade, and I learned with a second-year Bismedrish Bachar, and he told me this and told me that. And we really do value someone that's in second-year Bismedrish. They could be 19 years old or 18 years old, and there's a lot of value to that. But there's still a limit to how much we value or what experience the 18-year-old has. And therefore, it's so important for us to recognize that kids need to speak to the parents. We need them to be open enough to discuss with us what's happening and a lot of their beliefs about themselves, either the negatives, especially the positives, but especially if there are the negatives going on. And if there's something going on in school long enough, then if they, we don't have the dialogue and they're not open, we don't know what's going on inside of them. We don't know how they, what pain is within them. And our goal is to be able to help the children be healthy, to have a positive view of themselves, to understand that there are circumstances, times in life that people will knock you down, times in life that people won't believe in you. But you've got choices. Listen to them. Make new friends. Change environments. If it happens from an authority figure, a teacher, a rebbe, or a principal, you'll have the right to say stop. You have the right to make changes. There are changes. It might not be easy. The school might not want, but there are always choices. Your job is to first take care of your children. Changing is always a last option. means you've got to first learn other, school, other skills. We don't want kids just running away from problems. That's not healthy. But we want them to be able to learn and work it out. So, yes, it's very serious if we don't get them the skills, if they don't know how to do it, if we don't know what's going on within themselves. They can act and laugh and smile on the outside, and all of a sudden when we see what's going on inside, Nebuch, it is so painful and it is so hard to work on. Now, I'd just like to share with people the number to call up is 718 683 5858-718-683-5858, and we would like to take, get your questions or your comments. It seems that everything is wet and nobody... <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and take the text message yes. that was sent. And the message was as follows. Good evening, and thank you for your amazing program. If I may just create an interesting awareness about one of my children who has some sensory issues. He was my easiest baby. He hardly cried, sat like a dial in his baby chair, and did not come to sleep in my bed like my other little ones. I think he did not get enough touch as an infant, and he is therefore 
my only child, he is my only child who struggles in this area. This is my own analysis. Do you think it makes sense? If it does, maybe there's a place to make parents aware. Hugs and kiss, hug and kiss your kids even when they don't demand it and save yourself the bigger problems later on. Thank you for the amazing work you do for your cloud. You're very welcome and I appreciate this message. And as you said, it is possible that this could be one of the reasons that the kid, your child, did not show that much a need for attention. And that could be. And therefore, this kid hasn't or has now a sensory issue of touch and things like that. However, maybe it's possible the other way, that your kid was born with a sensory issue. And that means that they didn't need to be hugged and touched so much because they didn't feel the benefit or they didn't feel it that much. And that is the reason why later on you're able to recognize, so that's why this kid didn't need that hug or the kisses. They weren't reassured as the other kids are. So what I want to share is maybe take off the guilt of yourself that maybe you didn't hug and kiss your kid enough and look at it, maybe the kid that was having sensory issues when they were born. And therefore, that is why they weren't asking for it, they weren't demanding it. Or even when you did it, they didn't show the proper cooing that a kid would show when a parent hugs it. Then kids, you see the way they melt in your arms and they feel like safer. They like give that smile. They make those noises, those sounds like they're okay, like they feel it. And if your kid didn't do it, that could be part of the reason why you didn't do it. So instead of blaming yourself, that could be. Well, that's uh, possible. Yeah. But any, anyway, it's never late to give a hug and a kiss to nobody. That's right. At mm. all ages, that's... hugs and kisses work. And At worthy. At all ages, feel, they value and you feel good and you feel respected and you feel valued. It's just a natural instinct. It's a natural instinct of doing that. I usually do not discuss my workshops, so people have been sending out messages about marriage workshops. Let me just clarify, Mertzim. After Pesach, I hope to do the, the stress to inner peace. That is what we're going to be doing. Stress to inner peace, which is for anyone that's got anxiety, anyone that gets overwhelmed, anyone that feels that things are, they've got to make things work. So, Mertzim, we're going to be doing after Pesach, the stress to inner peace. And then what we're probably going to start is... Right, once the summer starts, we're going to be doing the marriage workshop. That's how to take your marriage from good to great. So that's for anyone that's got marriage, that you would like to improve your marriage, to, even for those that are married for 20 years, but sometimes they didn't start on the right foot or missing some basic information, and if there are difficulties or bumps. And the same is for anyone that's got the stress to inner peace workshop. If anyone's got anxiety, these are the classical tools, what we use for anxiety. We also take the deeper concepts of understanding how the subconscious works and a lot of the control things that we have, what's causing all that. So the stress to inner peace, Mr. will be after Pesach. And that's anything to deal with how to just be normal and handle stress and how to rebalance ourselves and fill ourselves up and have excitement. Those are what we're going to learn in those, that workshop. And then how to take your marriage from good to great. I believe it's for anyone, any chazankala, anyone married, anyone having a great marriage, and anyone having a difficult marriage. It will as well give you some tools and some of the concepts on what they do in therapy, and it can save you hundreds of dollars in therapy just knowing the asoidus and getting a kickstart, a jumpstart to that. Okay, uh, so we have we, the first caller, yes. Mrs. Excellent. R. Mrs. R, you're on with Mordechai and Rav Nissen. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for everything. Um, you're so welcome. Uh, 
Yeah, I have a question. I have a, you know, my, my daughter, she was diagnosed with ADHD, and uh-huh. um, and I'm starting her on medication, and I'm having issues with the school. Like, they want me to, like, I, I kept her home a few days before she started the medication, and they want me to keep her home, like, another week till the medication is, like, fully, you know, like, whatever. And um, she has issues also, like, you know, like she likes touch a lot. So if it's in school, she would like touch other kids, or you know, she's behavior things that were not, that were not normal, or whatever. But I'm, you know, I'm thinking, is it, does it make sense that school makes you keep on a child? Like, well, it depends. First, I hear of Nissen shouting in my head, saying the school should not be doing this, and things like that. But let's just take for a moment the school side. School is not a hospital. School is meant to right. place where we educate kids, where kids can feel safe being in school. And if there is a kid that has a behavioral issue, yes, ADHD medication could be part of the issue, but it could also be a sensory issue. could also be a behavioral issue that at home, sometimes, I know recently there were certain cases where people called me up about, about a case, if we would take it, and I asked the parents, what type of parents? They go, oh, we could never say no. So what do you expect us in therapy to work with a kid if the parents don't have the skills how to say no? Right. Okay. I don't have that problem. I, I, I well, say no. Well, sounds like your kids aren't. Well, the school's having that problem. Yeah, the school doesn't know how to handle it. That's the thing. So they want Are me. Are you able to handle the, your, chi- uh, your kid? Uh, usually, yeah. Uh, sometimes not. Because sometimes, oh, of course. You know, that's normal. But yeah. you have, you're able to keep your kids' hands to themselves, and you're able to, let's say, at a Shabbos to tell them sit at the table, because remember, school, they need them to sit. Right. I know. That's the thing. She can't sit. She's like, you know, but, uh, but um, uh, you know. Can I ask like, a different question, of Nissa, forgive me, and then you can be disappointed yes. and all that. <laughs> at what level did the school, let's say, get you to take medication? Is it when nothing is manageable and now they're fed up? So now you're saying, well, I just did medication, so why are you still complaining? In other words, I, I, I actually got a ride home with someone, a very good friend tonight from Brooklyn to Lakewood. And this guy was sort of telling me that he knows someone that called up our center that wanted to come into our center, and we didn't accept We didn't take them. And now, two years later, they went to another therapist, and now they're seeing changes. And I told this friend of mine, you know, I really do feel bad because there are so many cases we really feel that we can help. But it's going to be a year and a half of them blaming someone else until they finally recognize what they're part of it, not that we're blaming them and not that they're at fault for it. And let's say they're a victim compared to what's going on, but they are part of the equation. And it's a year and a half of very difficult time sitting session after session. What do I do when it's not fair what's happening and it's not fair? And then after that, finally the year and a half that we get the breakthrough and now the therapy sessions are still work, but we're working on changes. What I want to give the muscle, that muscle is to exactly many times when parents listen to this, they go, I don't get it. I finally sent the kid to the therapist. Why are they complaining now? Because at this point, things take a lot longer. At this point, they might be frustrated. Now, we need to understand what is going on and what's the school's role because we need to understand that there has to be, every kid needs to have a community school. And we have to have a school where every kid belongs. 
and we need to be able to have money or get finances or parents should be paying that if you need to have a class which will only have 10 kids in a the class then unfortunately it's school as it is is expensive but then that's what's needed and let's get your kid in a class that they might need let's not put it all on the school and on the other hand the schools also have to realize that maybe we got to teach a drop less maybe we got to focus a less on the information and more on kids getting along when I spoke recently at one of the schools, I was amazed to hear a principal tell me, and this is a principal, let's say, above the age of 65, telling me, can you please mention to the younger teachers when they're starting, and it can even be teachers of five years teaching, but they're having such a focus on information and information, and can we just teach them, give more heart, don't worry about the mark that much, don't worry about how much you're teaching, have the kids smiling and happy. So what I feel in your question is I hear a big balance, which means you're starting your kid on medication, but what the school is saying, that's nice, but we can't handle your daughter. We might need to hire another teacher or see it or a shadow for your daughter, but we can't have that. I don't know what's happening. I'm just making an assumption. So what they're saying is see at home how everything stabilizes and then bring her. They're not telling you we don't want your daughter. They're just saying we don't have now a kid that we're teaching. Get her ready to learn, and then we're willing to teach. Right. Yeah, it's also, it, it is a small class. It's like a small school. The whole school is not very big. But um, I, I told them, I was trying to tell them that they'll see the difference in the medication more than me. You know, like, I was trying to, like, you know, to see if she's sitting more I just want ahead. to say that, you know, as as many, many issues, we said that that uh, basically I think that the mother role now, right now is to learn how to deal with these issues and try to, to be more professional on this. Like, uh, in the, I don't know, workshop or something like this, consult with, uh, with, with the doctors, how to handle and try to uh, maneuver to the right path. That's right. So let's say let's start with some solution focused ideas. Just to remind everyone the number to call up is seven one eight six eight three fifty eight fifty eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight and we're looking forward to taking your questions and your comments. The first step that I would be doing is sitting down with a teacher and with a principal, have a meeting, and together you and your husband, and start, what are the issues that are going on in school? Is it jumping? Is it behavior? And I might even offer the teacher, what happens if you come in a couple of hours with your daughter so you can see what's happening? I should go so, with my daughter to school? Yeah, see if the teacher would allow you to be there for three, four hours. Watch how your daughter's sitting back of the classroom and see how your daughter's behaving. This way you can have an idea what's going on. See how she behaves. So what happens okay. is it's... What? No, not so to, this, yeah, so... No, so what happens is you could now watch the behaviors and say, oh, yeah, maybe she's doing this at home, too. Maybe we need to work on this. I didn't realize I need to work on this. How does your kid eat at home when there's supper? Is she jumping all over? Does she sit? And then maybe part of what she has in class is what she's also having 
in school. And then you can start, okay, so let's practice now at home where she is going to be sitting and eating. Does she eat with a fork? Again, we didn't even get your daughter's age. Does she eat with a fork and knife? Or is she eating with her fingers? And start doing things regular. Does she blurt out when you're in the middle of talking with your husband or with a friend? Does she start knocking into conversations? So if you can get the behaviors that she's doing in school that's disturbing the class, and then start noticing, does she do it at home? Work on it at home. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Another concept is, is she going to a therapist? ADD medication can... What? Yeah, she's starting now with the ABA therapist. Excellent. That's exactly what's necessary. ABA is the exact type of therapy that you want to use for ADHD. It's very grounded, very charged, very this amount of time. Look at this. Do that. That's exactly what's necessary. Excellent. And I'd just like to share with everyone the number to call up is 718 718- Six eight three fifty eight fifty eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Okay, fine. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and Hatzlacha, and Merit Hashem. Everything should work out smoothly and easily. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. You want to take some text here? Yes, let's go ahead and see some of the messages that are coming in. If I can explain a little about adult sensory issues and what's to be done about it. So again, as we discussed, sensory issues are when someone senses means when we have our awareness, like touch, sound, all our senses that we have, sight. When the senses are working well, we can pick things up. If our senses are low, then we won't pick things up. So just take, for example, sight. If someone's got glasses and they take off their glasses, now their sense of sight is not working that well. If someone has their glasses, now the sense of sight is working well. Well, that's simple to help with a certain lens. However, there are the feeling parts, and I'm talking about physical feelings, that some people, sensory, and that's the general concept of sensory that we're discussing, would be that we can recognize a difference and a change. That means that in the sensory area, if someone is touching something and the senses are working well, you felt, I just felt something hot, something cold, I touched someone too strong, I'm squeezing their hand, too strong, each of these. We'd recognize the difference is that if someone has got now a low-level sense, then what's happening is they're not going to feel what's happening by them. And they are not going to feel that they're squeezing someone too hard. They're not going to feel that they're wearing their clothing. They're not going to feel that the person cares for them. Yes. You want that question? Sure. Do we have? Hello. Oh, hello. Listen, you're with us. Yeah, I'm sorry that my mic was on and tried to get phone calls. Sure. So the idea what you do is with adults is the same level that we do with kids, and we still got to go through it. And that is we start the sensory. So one of the skills are brushing or touch. There's another one, so let's just explain that. Where you'd be rubbing the body, your hands, and you can start noticing this is hard, this is medium, this is soft. 
and generally you need someone else to do it because your sense is off. So you might think this is regular, and really it's very hard. So you need someone to do it. You go, no, this is regular. This is medium. This is hard. And then this is soft and gentle. Similar will be they have weighted blankets. That means there's a blanket that has a little bit of weight. So when they're covering themselves, they might not feel that they're covered and they have a hard time falling asleep. They will feel that. They sometimes have a little weight at the bottom of their feet or even around their stomach that you can wear like a light. But it just gives you that feeling. Sometimes they have belts that's like tighter around your body or your chest. So now you feel like you're wearing a shirt. But there are exercises and skills, and what you want to be doing is going to occupational therapists. An OT therapist is, gear, is geared and skilled for this area. We'll go to Mrs. Who do we go to? Mrs. R. Mrs. R. Hi, you're on with Mordechai and her of Nissen. Yes, hi. First of all, thank you for your line. It's unbelievable how many lives you've changed and the ripple effect it has done. Thank you. That means so much to me, and I appreciate you calling up. Okay, so I wanted to make an awareness as well as to ask a question. Um, in regard to ADD, sometimes it can be a real emotional problem as opposed to a real ADD problem. Yes. Let's clarify. If the person is ADD, then it's not an emotional problem, or sometimes the emotional problem could put fuel on ADD. But ADD can many times look similar to anxiety. And if someone's had stress or anxiety from a young, um, young age or there was anxiety in the house or several generations of it, then yes, it can look very similar. Jumpy, hypervigilant, no patience to listen, but when they're interested, they could focus, feel extra sensitive. Each of those issues can look. So yes, I wouldn't call it an ADD. I would say it was misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. But they would they classify into ADD like not a hundred percent, but like a hundred and twenty percent. And then okay, I, need, when, I want to clarify again. Sometimes that's mm -hmm. why you need to be a skilled clinician to recognize it too. And many mm -hmm. times you can have a skilled clinician that will say, "This case, it can be both. Let's deal with one, and we'll see." So generally, if it's ADD and anxiety, they'll try to deal with the anxiety and not the ADD. So if the anxiety takes care of all the situation, then you know it wasn't ADD. But if you treat mm -hmm. the anxiety and there's still the ADD component, then you know it was both. A person can have a dual diagnosis. Oh, okay. So that, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah so that does make people sense. Do, yes, people can have anxiety and people can have ADD. Mm -hmm. So the emotional problem of having the anxiety calming down affects ADD to get better, but if it's still ADD, they're still going to have the symptoms. Exactly, and they'll still have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to tell you that uh, we, we had so many stories about this, that uh, school pushed to uh, diagnose of ADD, and and I, I know personally one, one boy that basically they forced him to take the medicine, and then the parents move him to another school, and nothing, everything is okay. Yes. That's exactly that. So, again, environment can have a huge effect, definitely. But, again, you need a skilled therapist that understands. And most of the time the therapist or a good diagnostician will start listening. When did this happen? What's happening in the house? If the house is a calm house, and this kid was always that way, one of the ways when you know when someone's ADHD is, 
it does not develop an eight years old. So that it was doesn't. my question. If someone is no. perfect until age 12, 13, 14, and then all of a sudden they develop it, it's not ADD, it's not ADHD? That's right. It's not ADHD. It's not. However, here's the buff. I've mm. seen a case where someone in Eretz Yisrael was learning in a week. They flew them into Eretz Yisrael, and once they're here, they insist I see the person. And the kid had every sign of ADHD, except that it was caught at around 13 years old. And I go, that is a problem. I have a problem. You don't, not, it's impossible. It's very rarely does it develop at 13. However, what I did was, but match the symptoms were too perfect and a lot happening at home, that I asked them if they could get me in touch with one of the rebellion when he was any of the years. And I spoke to a 10th grade, uh, to a 10-year-old, the rebbe when he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And the rebbe told me, this kid was jumping, and this kid didn't concentrate. He said, but to be blunt, I teach in the yeshiva. It's a very low-level learning. And we don't have kids sit that much. So this kid was wilder than all the other kids. But if I think about it, yes, he had all the signs all the other years. And the reason why the Rebbeim never complained is because it was a very tough class, and he wasn't from the hardest kids. But he was always making trouble, and he had all the signs. Mm -hmm. So, again, even if someone sometimes says, that's why I want to clarify to you, that you need a skilled clinician to diagnose this. Mm-hmm. You want someone that understands which questions to ask, someone that's going to do the history I know and he call was. up. Mm-hmm. So, no, just to be clear, a kid does not develop at ADHD, does not generally develop ADHD at 13. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if they were able to wake up and learn and they were the best and then all of a sudden they can't, then it's not that. Yes, if they could concentrate and be clear and get along and follow rules and not make like uh, silly mistakes, not forget like little numbers when they're adding up, oh, I just forgot to add the one, and not having any of the sensory or any of the bumping issues that go, and they're able to, and it's not just one class when the one year that the Rebbe was interested, but year after year, they're able to stay concentrated and focused and able to study normal before a test and not just last minute before cram it in, then, I would definitely question if it's ADHD, and I would definitely be looking at what happened at 12, 13, 14 of this kid change. Yes. These are mm-hmm. one of the big signs that it's not ADHD. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the inattentive type, not that they're hyper. What would that look doesn't like? doesn't matter. Uh, inattentive type, they would still have the difficulties. At 8, 9, 10 years old, they are now tests. Are they able to pay attention in class? Are they able to study? If their learning is more than 20 minutes, are they paying attention? Mm-hmm. Compared to other kids, remember, it's relative compared to what other kids right. can do. And the Rebbe says, this kid's mind is just flying away. We're turning the page, and they're not following along. I need to remind them. When I remind them, turn the page or look in, then they, when they get their continuous attention, then they're able to concentrate a little longer. Do they get frustrated when they need to have the, atten- the attention type? Mm-hmm. No, so the kid didn't have any of that. Then mm-hmm. It just gets worse and worse as they go older. It's well, again, mm-hmm. that's why I shared that story with a case in Israel. It depends right. what was going on in elementary. Sometimes you could be in elementary school where the Rebbeim are just telling stories on the outside. Right. No, he was doing very well, more than very well. Excellent. So then I would question. I'm not saying it's not. Remember, we don't diagnose over the phone. This is an awareness right, of course. Of course. I would question if it's ADD and what I would be looking into other stuff. Is the family perfectionist? Are the parents perfectionists? Does this kid have to do the best? Are there financial issues going on at home? Are there fights between the parents, Shalom Bayez? Is this kid an older kid and they feel responsible for other no, siblings? No, they were the younger kids and there were, yeah, there were issues between the parents and the kid felt a lot reliable for that. 
So it could be right. that was causing the stress. So these are more anxiety And when the kid was signs. younger, the kid didn't really hop what was going on. And then when they get yeah. older, they saw. Yes. And these mm-hmm. make sense. And many times you see kids, instead of sending them or get them on medication, send them to therapy, send them out of town. Yeah. No, Sleep, the kid is already older than being the kid now. But what? this is what happened when they were younger. So, and, uh, I mean, being older is, it's just amazing yes. to see how when they have an, a connection with any with anything from the past or something happens and they go out of whack, they even look pale and look sick. And then all of a sudden if there's real complimenting and they achieved something, they just all of a sudden they're fine. So that wouldn't be ADD. <laughs> no, no. ADD is almost all the time. The only misconception mm-hmm. that people have about ADD is that people think if someone's ADD, let's call it ADHD because that's now what they call the inattentive mm-hmm. type or the hyperactive type, is that they think, oh, they could never concentrate on anything. No, kids with ADHD, they could unfortunately watch movies for hours if it's highly stimulating. They could play in video games for hours if it's highly stimulating. They could listen to tapes for hours if it's highly stimulating. It's to their interest. That's right. It has to be fast and quick to keep their ADHD interest. Right, so they okay. do that. very weird. Like when they want to, let's say, yeah, they'll make things on fast pace. That's right. But if a kid was able to concentrate till 13, and all of a sudden at 13, and we know that there are other environmental factors, like parents fighting and now they're aware of it or other stuff happening, then we don't jump to ADHD. ADHD mm-hmm. is a biological level. The brain moves faster, and the filter part that's that able to concentrate isn't working that well, and that's how the medication works. It's at a young age. You see it. You notice it. The inattentive types, you don't notice until the learning gets harder, but you still see it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if it develops at 12, 13, very likely that it is not ADHD. And it sounds sound like a normal teenagers. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And normal teenage kids to worry about the parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Very clear. Uh, yeah. uh, Mordechai, I, before we just have a question from uh, uh, a caller that where he can, where he can uh, get a social skills and how to get it? I know that's a big bombshell, and we have a lot of phone calls, but uh, small in. No, there's actually a lot. There's a great, I usually do not recommend Goyish books, but she has written like 20 of them and for many, many years, and it's extremely popular in the from world. So her name is Marsha Garcia Winner, and there are many, many, many books that she has written on social skills. And almost anyone that learns social skills for children, for teenagers, about the mind, about the body. And when I talk about mind, that means about our thoughts, our feelings, how to express it. If we have a feeling and we don't express it, then it stays within us and it gets us nervous. And this is just simple social skills teaching that to you. Then even when you can express it, words that you express it, the tone that you express it. And this is all her. She literally has olive base concepts and they have little books for first graders and like small words just showing you this is when the person's angry heard about that but they didn't express it now inside they're angry and now they hit someone so then they teach you these are books from little kids up to teenagers which will be more on an adult level and that's what they would be discussing how feelings thoughts how to social interact so her books are literally the foundation 
of social skills and different ages, how to speak to someone, how to remain quiet when you're having a conversation, how to make eye contact with the other person. Lots of olive-based simple stuff, but she has turned it into an entire science. Wow, great. So I hope that uh, listeners get the answer. So we'll go yeah. to uh, Mrs. K. Mrs. K. Hi, you're on with Mordechai Norvison. Huh? Welcome. Thank you so much for your line. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what's the difference between being just overly cautious or a bit nervous um, and anxiety? So I'd like to share with you a similar thing, Rav because this is something you've discussed so many times about shul. And I wonder how you would explain the difference. A man comes home from shul, and he had a couple of l'chaims. And he says, I'm high, and he's embarrassing at the Suda, and if he would have people around, family members, and I'm talking about other than kids, a brother-in-law, sister-in-law, nephews, nieces, in-laws, and the wife says, you're drunk. What would you, how would you define the difference between the two? Again, if someone's drunk or... The husband comes home, and he says, I'm high. I had two, three l'chaims at a Shabbos. The wife says, you're not high. You're embarrassing. You're drunk. I guess it's like um, if like they're really acting strange and like not themselves. Yes, but he says that's high. I'm just not that nervous. I'm just I'm just easier saying things that I want to say. I'm just Shabbosonig. <laughs> right. The so reason why I'm giving you that muscle is now ask your question. Let's see if you can realize. The nimshal. Go ahead. Ask your question again. What's the difference between being just a little overly cautious and yep. having anxiety? Exactly. Most of the time, people that are overly cautious are the ones like those husbands that say, I'm just high. Ask people around you what it feels like. You yourself are blind. Mm-hmm. I very rarely heard someone that's depressed say I'm depressed. Someone that's anxious say I'm anxious. Only when it's to such a level that they can't do certain things or people are pressuring them that now they have to admit, okay, I have a problem. Mm-hmm. So the person that's say I think that it's just normal things, like, like let's say not wanting to go into Goisha car service at night, and other people are like, come, like, big deal, come on, you're just, you know, That's right. Overreacting. So the difference is... What would other people do? Many times you would look at what's the norm in that society. But is it okay to be just like a drop above the norm? Like now, well, again, here's the difference between high and, and drunk. You ask the husband, he says he's high. You ask the mm-hmm. wife, she says he's drunk. Mm-hmm. So I cannot tell you, Very, it's extremely important when we learn how to diagnose, never to diagnose based on our assumptions. It's what's the norm of that society. Mm-hmm. Let's take a classical example. A Litvish guy goes to shul, so in Lakewood, they start davening Friday night. Mincha is max seven minutes after shkia, after candlelighting, the latest. You're yeah. done an hour after that, the latest. It's usually 45 minutes. So he comes home. Everything's wonderful. What happens if now he's going to daven the Chassidish Shtibel, which starts mincha 25 minutes after Shkia? 
and then you're singing for another and everything that goes and the davening is longer. Now he comes home an hour and 45 minutes after, after let's say, after the seven minutes after Shkia. And for him, that's normal. Now, what would you say is normal when the wife starts yelling, why are you coming home so late? He says, what do you mean? I just davened in shul. And she goes, no, you didn't. You must have spoken to friends. He goes, no, I davened in shul. Normal has to do with where is your environment. What's expected? So, again, it makes sense for a woman not to want to go at night in a car with a Goyesha car service. Makes well, sense. Well, it's telling everyone in the car that there is a police outside, let's say. Say is that, that again? normal? Let's say telling the whole car that everyone, there's a police outside. Why would someone say there's a police outside? Because I guess they're afraid of police. <laughs> okay, so then do you think that is cautious, or do you think that person has a fear? And they're sharing it with everyone, and people aren't noticing it. And what's wrong if there is a police there? So I guess my question is, um, what's the difference between having um, a fear, let's say, and anxiety. Why do they have to be different, fear and anxiety? Why are we changing those words? Call it the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's basically if the people around you complain, then you know that it's not Then you know you already got an issue that you should be seeing a professional. Yes. Mm-hmm. And okay. you will not see it. You're going to rationalize why it's normal. I hear Yep, that's how it works. So people that are drunk, unfortunately, all say they're just high. And I know mm-hmm. everything that I said, and I said it with a kavana. And if I want to stop, I could stop. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, they're just embarrassing everyone. It's the same thing when someone's got anxiety. Most of the time, unless they're completely paralyzed or like social anxiety, they'll rationalize why it's okay. I know someone, for example, that was afraid to go in elevators, and their rationalization is, why take elevators? People are wasting the little opportunities that we have to do exercise. (laughs) So you're slapping bags four or five times up to the eighth floor. Do you know how healthy it is? People pay money to go to the gym, and here I get it for free, and I should take the elevator? Mm -hmm. They just don't want to say I have a fear or claustrophobia of a tight room or I'm afraid the elevator could get stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. So people rationalize their fears. If enough people are telling you you're doing things that are not because of fears, start listening. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically with just one person, then they're really, really just relaxed. And That's yeah. right. But many times your friends won't tell it to you. It'll be the close ones. If you have your family members, several of them, telling you you got an issue, then that's mm-hmm. something else. Then you should start listening. Okay, very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good night. Have a wonderful evening. Listen, who's next? We'll just share the number again. People would like Miss. to ask. 718-683-5858. Mrs. Y. Mrs. Y, thank you for holding, and you're on with Mordechai and Herb Nissen. Hi, hello. Thank you for taking my call. You're um, so first, welcome. I was truly amazed the way you spoke to a boy in the Yiddish program, Matzah Shabbos, about the bumps and stops. Uh, I was able to take out so much from it. It was amazing. It was really, really... Yeah, uh, so let's just share a second with Herb Nissen with everyone listening. So I do a Yiddish question and answer where people call up, and it's like on the Arkoma Vasa, like a Yiddish phone line. 
So Abacher called up saying that how could he be? He's 18 years old, and he has a brother older than him, and this brother isn't a chassan yet, and now his friends are starting to get engaged. And it really bothers him. And we use this as an opening to teach him a little about adulthood. And that means in life, someone won't have children right away. Someone will have an easier parnasa because their parents have contacts in that area. Someone will have an easier time learning because their parents are a chedoch. Everyone's got areas which will go smooth in their life, and everyone will have areas that there are bumps that will hold us back. And if we are looking at in the parts of life that we're being held back, we're going to get upset at that person and all those expectations how life should have been. But if we realize that everyone's got bumps and we can just be in the moment and appreciate it, and with this Bach we're setting up or he discussed that his goal to be happy and to stay energized is to set up to make a seam by the summer, that's going to be his focus. Yes, it's uncomfortable and other people get engaged and he's waiting, but that's Ratzon Hashem. So we're discussing about setting up goals, even though you've got bumps in your life. And that is not even though, especially because that is how Hashem created the world. Everyone's going to have their bumps. I know my bumps are this, and we've discussed several of my bumps. And there are bumps everywhere, and we can't let those bumps knock us down and blame others. Yes, great. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Did you also yes. have a question or a comment? Um, yes, I wanted to ask um, a question that I know you usually don't take questions under the age of eight, um, but I'm just going to try, and if it's not something that you want to answer, I will respect that. Sure. You got it. Um, I have a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old um, son that uh, is extremely afraid of uh, costumes now. We took out the all the costumes for Pidim, and um, he was traumatized to a point that I had to hold his hand, keep him on my, uh, uh, to keep him on me wherever I went. He was all, even at night. He woke up uh, saying that he's scared. So yeah, my question is, normal. if this is we should new, do exposure or avoidance? No, this is normal. This is normal. All kids, not all, most kids at that age are petrified, and most parents have an issue, and they right. say we got to the keep these kids is, in the room. Yeah. The question is if we need to do exposure work to feed him or avoid no, him. No, it's not. Like, well, should, I, should I what let the think child be around? Let me around? ask the question as follows. Most women are afraid of mice, right? Okay. Let's make an assumption. If you would see a mouse in the bungalow or in your house, what would you do? Will you just be calm or will you start yelling and screaming? <laughs> Uh, would probably start yelling and screaming. Exactly. Now, it's appropriate. That is the response. Even men are disgusted, but somehow men don't have that, rea that heightened pain or that emotional reaction as women do to, to mice. Right. So now, since it's appropriate and you're an adult, do you think we should now start having you get appropriate exposure to mice? No. Exactly. So what do you want, Nebuchadnezzar, your two-and-a-half-year-old kid, that this is age-appropriate? Why do exposure to a two-and-a-half-year-old kid? Here's where we need to be the responsible parents and start saying, look, my kid's afraid, we'll come early, we'll come later. Or we tell everyone you got to take off the masks because my kid's afraid. And you uh -huh. won't be the first, and you won't be the last. And these are one of the challenges that kids have. 
I just had my three-year-old kid not feeling well, and sure enough, had a night or two in my bed, kicking in the back, and I, you know, you don't sleep well. That's part of the age. 16-year-olds usually sleep even when they're not feeling well. Part of having kids is at each age, they've got their strengths, they've got their weaknesses. Two-and-a-half-year-olds are afraid, and even four-year-olds and five-year-olds can be petrified of masks and the faces and the gorillas and the lions and all those other faces come along, and that's appropriate. And it's our job as parents to protect them rather than get them to be exposure. Don't do exposure on a brain that doesn't understand exposure yet. I understand. Okay, I have it very clear. Thank you so yeah. much. And it might not be easy. I want you to know you're going to go to family simchas, and they are the seven-year-olds and the nine-year-olds that they can't wait to wear their masks, and they love teasing. Somehow there's another level, just like everything is age-appropriate. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen-year-olds love teasing those young kids when they're crying. They get a kick out of it. I still don't understand it. Maybe I skipped that stage, or maybe I'm way beyond that age. But the smile when a kid's crying out of fear, and you see those eight-year-olds and three, four, eight-year-old boys are laughing, and I go, Rabbi this kid is crying, then the shama out, and they're yeah, laughing. Yeah, and that yeah. That is was I was trying to explain well. my other children, and I couldn't get through. Like I, I had right. to That's literally go into another room. So that you learn to set the boundaries. There are no face masks when this kids are this and this age. That's just how we're doing it around here. Or you uh-huh. put the kid in a room, we have another one with a room a little this way, they could have their time out. But this is the struggle when you have a two-and-a-half-year-old, when you've got the older ones. This is just normal. This is part okay. of figuring out family systems and family dynamics. Okay, thank you so much. And I Tomet, all the best. You're welcome. Same, yeah, same to you. I'm glad we're able to address this topic. Well, this is a great topic. Isn't okay. it, like, true? <laughs> yes, it's amazing. It's so true that... The, the older brother or sister make fun about the young one and you know just <laughs> this, this and the same thing with the yes. mice it's age appropriate yeah. it's normal the, it's a normal response that a kid sees it and they're supposed to be afraid that is normal that's healthy yes <clears throat> okay so we'll go to um, Mr. F okay Let's go to Mr. F. Hello. Hello, hello, Mr. F. You're on. Mr. F. W. Hello. <coughs> okay. We skip. Uh, let me see. Okay. Let me just try to get him outside yeah. of the phone. Okay. And again, just sharing with everyone that Baruch Hashem, the Shalom has given us, many times we have families, and I understand those that struggle with the different ages and how to get it and how to get everyone working together. I really do understand it. And that's the, that's the balance where we have the conversation with our children, but the kids, the older ones, don't get it. And they find it funny. And it's our job to just be assertive and to just say, this is what we are not doing. We're not going to wear the face masks here. We are going to wear it there. And you might have it that certain times you'll go around to the Shalach Manas with the, with the Rebbeim with, or to the teachers with you or with, with your husband or without your husband. And then just when they walk in is when you put on the mask and you keep the kid to the other side. There's the balance and the juggling that us parents that we're going to do. 
and it's just part of what we do. One of the amazing jobs that we do as parents, that kids do not realize how much time and effort and the giving respect to everyone that we do until generally when they're parents that all of a sudden they see it. Just similar along those lines. I know of someone that, let's say, they had the children first, Baruch Hashem, and they had the younger brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws, and when the kid turned like two, two and a half, they had a piano, and all of a sudden the kid started touching the piano on Shabbos. And that older brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws going, get Shabbos, how can you let the kid touch it? And yes, they, of course they had the, you know, it's sort of clothes blocking the keys, but this kid turned it on, and going, we're trying to prevent it, you're probably going, cheers, but sometimes the kid got there and pushed it. And they were just so upset at the parents. Sure enough, Mausar Kaddish Baruch Hu, five, six years later, they're married, Baksham has a kid, and now their kid's at the piano, and they try to block it all. But when the kid got to the keys, all of a sudden, no screaming, no, what's wrong with you? What's with your chinuch? Don't you know if a kid is Mechal Shabbos, what I can do to the Shama? All of a sudden, there was a little, you're doing your best, you, the best that you can, but you're also not traumatizing the kid, you're not trying to do who knows what. And you try to pull them away. So certain things happen with age, with experience when they get there. It's our job as parents to set the healthy boundaries that we know. Yeah, 100%. And if someone would like, the program's really over, but if you'd like a quick question or comment, you can call 718-683-5858. Uh, let's touch something at Purim because Purim come. I know that next week we'll talk about also about the drinking and Purim a little bit. You know, as we said that always you don't yes. you don't drink at Purim. Yes, that's not a mitzvah. And not the chil Hashem and not chas Hashem. The accidents, none of the above. Yes. So um, parents. And I would say that uh, all the people, the gvirim that collect, don't give the kids anything to drink, and not your friends. Yes. It was interesting. Someone just sent me a message, which is true, but I guess I was thinking about the two-and-a-half-year-old age. But just going back to the mask, where someone said that sometimes kids calm down when they see that under the mask there's the face, and it's their brother, their sister, whoever it should be. And they calm down after a couple of times of seeing that. And that is true. I actually want to agree with you. That is true. However, most of the time it's not that way. And we just want to allow the kids to feel the safety of being kids. We want to allow the kid to feel safe. And many times, at least for us, the parents to feel that it's okay if the kid is not, is, is the kids not doing what we expect. They're not behaving exactly the way we thought they will. That is our goal. Our goal is to allow the kids to be a kids, allow the kids to be afraid. That is exactly our goal. Okay, we'll go to Mrs. B. Okay, Mrs. B, hi, you're on. Hi, how are you? Baruch Hashem. Um, I, wa- I wanted to expand on someone else's question. Somebody asked about the difference between fear and uh, anxiety and being a little, you know, more than the regular. Yeah. So you said that it depends on the on the environment. So let's say I come from one environment and my husband comes from a different environment. So where I come from, letting, let's say, a seven-year-old going out at night is just not the normal thing to do. We would never do that. It's just we don't think that's safe. From where my husband comes from, they, they think it's the most normal thing to let little kids out at night. They're just, you know, 
they're more they're, they're, that's the way they do things. So when I'm not going to let my seven year old go out at night, my husband thinks I have anxiety. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with the little kids going out in the dark? It's seven o'clock. It's not late. If I would tell my mother that I'm not letting my seven year old go out, she would be like, "Of course not. Why? Why would you let a seven year old go out in the dark? That does, just doesn't that's make right. any sense." And that's the beauty of marriage, to start teaching us to see the balance of the two sides. So, so do I have anxiety, or, or does my husband have just very uh, well, strong nerves? First of all, appreciate the godless of the Rabbi Islam, That is marriage. To start having us question ourselves, to have us starting to recognize, hey, maybe something is wrong the way I was raised. It means it's not that healthy. And it's possible that my whole family, means my mother's old sisters or my father's old brothers or however it should be, have a certain concept that's not that accurate. And that's why we're getting married now for the balance. And the same is for your spouse. Maybe it's not that healthy to just let kids get out, go out when it's pitch dark in certain times, Halloween at night in certain areas. And that's where marriage work comes in, where Again, when we were just discussing like partially about the workshop, about taking a marriage from good to great, the marriage is going to happen in the summertime, that's a large part of what we're discussing there. And just because you have a certain belief and you're sure that you're 100% correct, so does your husband. He has the same 100% assurance within himself that he is correct. And that's the beauty of marriage, that where we start realizing there's more to the way we were raised. There's more than one way to do it. And I wonder if I could take a little from my husband, and if we can take a little the other way, or my husband will take a little from me, where will we be? One of the greatest problems in marriage is when we're sure that we're right, and we don't have the skill of compromise. We don't have the skill of foresight to understand that, Baruch Hashem, my husband's got strengths, I've got strengths. How do we combine both of them? Mm-hmm. I think it's also it's something that's very and not and not only married in married couple or anyone is it the flexibility of realize the environment around us that definitely if you live in in a certain neighborhood you have to understand that this is uh, it's low that you don't go at night and if you live in a neighborhood that other so you have you have you have the flexibility this I think that we have to adjust ourselves to this situation and this is the beauty about us about being a human, to adjust ourselves to the certain situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So again, if you notice, I didn't answer your question. This is the dance of marriage. Mm-hmm. So then, so then here, here my husband's thinking, oh, I have anxiety, but I'm thinking that he has just like, you know, he's like really... Exactly. It's like interesting and this we, is where you guys start talking. That. And this is where you start discussing, this is many times where you bring in a third person, a certain Rav or a Rebetzin or a family member that you both feel close to discussing this with. Here's where compromise starts coming in. And unfortunately, if one thinks they're correct and they're not willing to hear the other side, that's where we start seeing marriage issues. Uh-huh. So then it's not a thing about anxiety, it's just about where you're coming from from where I'm coming from, that's not anxiety. From where he's coming from, it is anxiety. Yeah. So anxiety is so anxiety is flexible. Exactly. That's exactly what they teach us in psychology. Before you diagnose, it's got to be affecting the person. It's got to be affecting the environment. You got to make sure that it's not normal in their environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
100%. These are all taken into account before a therapist's diagnosis. Yeah, I've had a wonderful example where someone told me they don't have anxiety. They're in the back seat of a car, and they're busy telling the driver always how to drive. So I said, why don't you think you have anxiety? And, and they could yell and get nervous, and the car's too close. And, and, like, the family was coming and saying how no one could be with them in a car. They go, I don't have anxiety. My mother wouldn't even get in the car. That's anxiety. I get in a car. Mm-hmm. So in her family, based on her belief, now I've changed the information. It wasn't a car, and it might not have been a woman. I'm just saying I changed the information. Mm-hmm. It could be going into stores. It could be working on, walking on certain streets. It could be dealing with certain people. It could even be like a car service. I'm not saying what it was. I just changed the information. And, yes, the point of when we're married, when someone starts saying you're suffering from anxiety is actually for you to question yourself. Yes. Speak to other people other than your immediate family, because if she would have spoken, let's say, to her other sisters, go, of course cars are dangerous. Of course you have to tell drivers how to drive. Who can rely? Do you know how many accidents are out there? Mm-hmm. So until I got married, I didn't even think I had anxiety, and all of a sudden I think, hey, maybe I have anxiety. But all of a sudden yeah, I have anxiety. And that's the beauty of marriage. And then if you find out or you ask several people that are your friends that this is normal to be concerned, now you start giving the same speech to your husband. You have no, you, you're lacking a sense of fear. Don't you see you're reckless in certain areas? I think you might need help on that. And don't tell me I have anxiety when you're reckless. And again, it's not an attacking way, it's about discussing it. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to these five people and said this is normal. And not my family, not my mother, and not my brother, and not my sister that was raised, friends. And mm-hmm. then sometimes you might discover that there are certain things, as we discussed earlier, that are men have one way to it and women have another, and one of them are mice. Men don't like mice, but men aren't screaming and running away from it. Some do, but most don't. So, again, we want to clarify, is your husband someone that he's able to recognize that just because your wife's afraid of something doesn't mean you have to say it, doesn't mean you have to rub it in, it doesn't mean you have to call it anxiety. It's appropriate for women to be feeling that. Mm-hmm. So as we notice again, the answer is it depends, it depends, it depends, it depends. Mm-hmm. And therefore, okay. this is an awareness program. We don't diagnose from here. But we do share the concept and the importance of marriage and about the concept of flexibility and the concept to be able to listen to our spouse, to listen to another side, and so we can actually question ourselves. Is what we're having normal? Is the way we were raised in this this behavior normal? And that's why we have someone else that would have a different experience. Mm -hmm. So what are you getting from this question and answer? What are you getting? You talking? You still talking to me? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm either it's probably somewhere in between the two of us. Um, I would just probably have to ask people that are not in his family and not in my family. Exactly. What the general, um, you know, thought is in this neighborhood. Yeah. And then we'll see if I'm the one that's the problem or he's the one that's the problem. Exactly. So it was interesting. I was I was probably a couple of months ago in a, in a certain kahila, and I couldn't believe seeing an, a, a, so many teenage girls walking outside around 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, like it's the middle of the day. And the areas where I'm from, 
you would be more afraid to go out at night. But because it's a more closed area, it's in the, it's there, everyone's around, it was just safe. And I, it's just the normal, that kehillah. So again, it depends areas, depends where, depends when. Mm-hmm. Okay, we both, we're both from the same place, but I guess it's just the way you're brought up. That's right. And now the question is about flexibility. So you were raised this way. I was raised that way. Now, in order for us to work things out, what's the compromise? And compromise doesn't mean that we'll go half and half. Compromise means to this thing I might give in to you and somewhere else you'll give in to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I basically get it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. All right, Tara Nissen. Yes. Well, the time is flying, as as you know, and uh, I said to apologize to the other listeners that waiting online, and really, uh, we have already DJ Uda is waiting for us uh, yeah. in a standby position to just pump us with the music, good music. Beautiful. And uh, Mordechai, thank you very much, as usual, and this was a really pleasure to hear from you. Certainly. And thank you.